You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, All of You, Part 4. Enjoy. Listen, we're talking about all of you. This will be the last Sunday in this series. This is message for all of you. God is so good. He wants all of you. Just like any good husband or good wife wants all of their spouse, right? No one would want to be married to someone who's 33% committed, right? Come on. Marriage is, is, marriage is a blood covenant. Did you know that? Marriage is a total giving of yourself. Do you know there was a time in America when divorce was not an option? Just in people's thinking. And I, I'm not faulting someone who has been through a divorce. And I know there are different situations. And, 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 and sometimes because of the hardness of people's hearts or the situation, uh, a marriage dies. And I understand that. And God forgives and God loves. But I want you to know, uh, you ha- as I follow Christ, I become very aware of society's thinking. And how it drifts from the reality of God's love and his purpose. There was a time, you may not believe it. um, Let's see, my grandpa came over in 1908, I think. And I lived with him. So he would, you know, there was a time in America in the 1800s, early 1900s, when people married and they realized this was forever. Okay? And that's, that's... that's forever is a God thing, isn't it? Right? When we give ourselves to Him forever and we realize that we, we pray a prayer, we're not doing a little prayer and a religious, that we're committing our lives to following Him. Just like when Jennifer and I stood at the altar in 1994, we both said, I do. We realized that we were giving our whole selves to each other and here we are almost 27 years later and man, we're just getting warmed up. We're just getting warmed up. We're, 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 we're moving forward. You can't get hot unless you're all in. You can't enjoy a marriage unless the husband and the wife are fully committed. You can't enjoy your relationship with Christ unless you're fully committed. Commitment is not a bad word. Commitment is not a legalistic word. Sometimes you talk about commitment and people think you're getting legalistic. We preach the gospel of grace here, not the gospel of works and legalism. Okay? Commitment is a love word. You cannot separate love and commitment. You can't do it. You might think you can, but real love is real commitment. Same thing. When you talk about love, you're talking about commitment. When you talk about love, you're talking about forever. And I know that's hard for us because we don't see that in the world. I don't even know what the stats are anymore. It's like one out of two marriages end in divorce, something like that. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But it's, it's, it's far from love. It's far from commitment. I'm not faulting anyone. But you know what? If we accept the way things are in the world around us, then we are missing out on the power of the new life Christ came to give us. So as followers of Christ, we are not uh, passively accepting the way things are. We, have, we are actively changing the way things are by worshiping Him, 
by being fully committed to Him, by being fully engaged with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's why the ring goes all the way around our finger. Right? We've given our whole self to each other. We've given our whole self to Christ. We're talking about all of you. And when you begin to realize how much, I mean, God is so nuts about you. His refrigerator is just filled with photos of you. He goes upstairs and, uh, to the bedroom and he's got photos of you everywhere. He goes and takes a shower and he's got pictures of you in his bathroom. I mean, God's nuts about you. He loves you. Do you know God is, is fully, uh, fully committed to you? He's fully committed to see you win in life. He is, and no one can change his mind on that. You can spit in his face. You can call him every name in the book. You can run from him, but nothing's changed on his end. He still loves you. He's still fully committed to you. He still pursues you. Can you imagine pursuing someone that spits in your face and calls your names? That's our God. Because he sees beyond the ugliness or the, the bad attitudes or the, the, the way we're currently feeling. He realizes that's not who we are. He sees all the way through to the person that he called forth in the womb. Jesus! Oh, I hope you're awake today. I hope you're awake today. It's the heart of God that moves us to a life of total commitment. If you don't know how good he is, if you don't know his heart, you're not going to want to be committed to him. If you think he's going to hurt you, if you think there's another option better than him, why would you want to commit to him, right? And I understand and I apologize for all of the the things that you may have heard in churches and from ministers because a lot of it is garbage. Yeah, a lot of things that you hear coming from man's religious institutions is the philosophies of men and the wisdom of men with, a, with, with some Bible thrown in there. I don't need that and you don't need that. I need the real thing. I need, I need a, a vibrant, living, hot relationship with the one who made me. How about you? Right? All of you. Hallelujah. So I want, again, you, you've got to ask yourself this. And the answer to it will be revealed in the decisions that you make. Do you believe that there's anyone or anything more satisfying that can satisfy you more than following Christ? And I understand. You say, well, of course. I understand that. There was a time I didn't even know what that meant, following Christ. I would laugh at people that talked about Jesus. I'd make fun of them. You know, growing up, and, and uh, I, I didn't even understand. I didn't, I didn't even know that God loved me. I grew up in a, in a difficult situation, and I didn't, I didn't know that love could even be real. So I understand this, uh, this you may answer this question, but, but I want you to take time and think about it today. Do I really believe that there is someone or something else in this world that can satisfy me more than him? It's a good question to ask. Is he the one you're waking up to talk to? This goes for married folks and family folks too, right? Is he the one you're getting up in the morning to spend time with? 
Is he the one that you're making daily decisions to, to, give, to give yourself to, to please? And now don't get condemning. We're not trying to condemn anyone. We're just locating ourselves, right? If you don't know where you're at, you can't get to where you want to go, right? So don't condemn yourself. But really, is he your motivation for getting up in the morning? If he's not, you haven't given him your whole self. Just, just, just saying, okay? Now, I know we feel different. Our emotions change from, from day to day. We could be really tired. I'm not talking about get. I mean, sometimes I get up in the morning and I have to, you know, get up. It takes me a little while to get up, right? Sometimes I, I can't, I, I don't even want to go to bed. I'm so excited, you know? So our emotions, the way we feel can change. I'm talking about something deep in that inside. Even if you feel tired, even if you, your body doesn't want to get up, inside you're looking forward to spending time with him. Your spirit's saying, God, you're so good. I want to know you more today. I want to walk with you. I want to experience you. I want to taste and see the reality of you in my life. See, this, this is what real relationship is like. Man has turned religion, religion into a... Or, Christianity into a religious tradition that's empty and cold and you know you can't have a relationship with a statue try it it's kind of weird actually isn't it I remember this movie when I was a kid called I think it's called a mega man I can't believe I remember that uh, Charlton Heston was in it <laughs> funny things come to mind when you preach anyway but I remember as a kid growing up and there was a movie about the this uh, I think it was Charlton Heston but anyway, uh, I think the end of the world happened. All these bombs went off, and there was like the, he was like the last person alive, I think. And then he discovered that there were these survivors. But what he started doing before he discovered there was people, he had mannequins in his house, and he would have play chess with a mannequin. And he'd have these, I, I, just, I don't know, I'm remembering this from back in the day, 80s or something. But it was weird. You can't play chess with a mannequin. You can't go through life with religious tradition and expect to know God. Religious tradition is a mannequin. It's lifeless. It's time to experience the resurrection power of Christ in your life. That's why so many are struggling with depression. They haven't experienced the resurrection power of Christ. In His presence is fullness of joy. You think depression can stay in His presence? It will, he, his presence will break that off for you forever. But you got to choose to give him your whole self. Let go of your religious tradition and give your whole self to Jesus. What a concept. Come on. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Woo. Come on. Are you exercising your free will to know him? All of us have a free will, right? I've got my rights. You have a right to know him. He purchased that for you. Are you taking advantage of your rights? He purchased for you the, the position in Christ. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Let's pull up John 3.16. Let's look at the goodness of God. And we're going to get into some stuff this morning. I, I, I hope that you're ready to be transformed. 
Do you know transformation is an awesome process, but when you're holding on to your own ideas and the wisdom of this world, it can be painful. So this might hurt a little bit today, but it's a good hurt. You know, I was exercising and and something that, that I enjoy doing, and there are times when it doesn't feel pleasant to exercise. And the body's like, eh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want. But you know what? After I get out of the shower, I'm so glad I did. Because yeah. I feel better. Yeah. And my body feels better. There's a transformation that's going to happen right here today. But I guarantee you, if you've been holding on to your own ideas, or if you've been conditioned by the media, yeah. and what the world says is, is right and wrong, this might hurt a little bit, but it's a good kind of hurt. Because God loves us. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son and only son. His one and only son, right? Is God an angry God who hates people? Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. The Bible shows us a God who loves people and made people in his image, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, that's what God asks of us, that we simply believe what he says. That's a reasonable request, isn't it? Especially from someone who can't lie. Do you know, I think, is it Hebrews 6.18 that says it's impossible for God to lie? I think it's Hebrews 6.18, somewhere in there says that that God is immutable, his purpose is unchangeable, that it's impossible for him to lie. Think about that. So we're here this, we're not talking and fellowshipping with someone that's been elected into office. We're not fellowshipping with a popular um, celebrity. We're not worshipping an educational figure. We're worshipping the one who can't lie. We're worshiping the one who has never done any research. True. Isn't this true? We're worshiping the one who has uh, no technology. That the greatest technology we could ever come up with looks like a turnip next to an iPhone. I don't know. It's just, it'll never compare to what God can do. We're, listen, we're fellowshipping the one who makes limbs reappear. You have to remind yourself who the God is you're worshiping. He's, he's not like man. He's perfect love. Whoever believes, whoever would choose to take him at his word will have eternal life. I don't know of any deal that could even come close to that one. I simply have to take him at his word, believe that what he says is true, and he gives me eternal life. Now, let's put the definition for eternal life in there and put that up there. Can we do that? So we, you know if you've been coming to Highway Church, what eternal life is is experiencing him, knowing him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but know him. 
perceive and recognize him, experience and understand him. You can know and understand God. Oh, yeah. It's called eternal life. See, you've been told eternal life is going to heaven. That's what man's religion does. It saps the power right out of what God wants to do in your life. What if you realize that eternal life is experiencing him right now in this very moment? Change the way you live, wouldn't it? Well, that's what eternal life is. How do we know that? Jesus defined it, John 17, 3. We're going to keep moving. So in John 3, 16, we see what, how, how God chose to behave on our behalf, right? We see God exercising his free will, which he has. That's where we get it from, right? He exercised his free will to love us with everything he has. He gave the best that he could ever give. He gave his one and only son. And then in the second half of John 3.16, we see our role in what God has done. No matter how much God loves you, if you don't receive it, it's not going to help you. I have to receive his love for me. I have to believe in what he did for me through his son. Or I'm not going to benefit from it. I'm not going to experience it. So in the second, our response is to take him at his word, to believe that what he says is true. Just listening on the inside here. The word grace is a powerful word, and somewhere along the line, someone created an acronym for it. Is that the right word, an acronym? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's an excellent way to think of grace. Grace is everything God has provided for you through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. And it's for you today. So my response to what He's done, if I want to experience it, I have to wholeheartedly embrace it. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Believing has been watered down. Bible faith means all that you are lives according to it. It is being absolutely sure and certain of it. The world wants to tell you that's not even, nothing is absolute and that, you know, and everything's relative, but God doesn't say that. God defines faith for us from Genesis to Revelation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. God wants you to go through life sure of His love for you and certain of what He did for you through Christ. But you're not going to get there listening to the world. So why do I read the Bible so much? Because I want to become sure of His love for me. You got your hard copy Bibles, right? If you don't have a hard copy Bible, you're not going to be sure of his love for you. You're not. You need to get one of these books. I have many of them. This is my main one, but I've got shelves full of them at home that I reference and read. But this is the main one I read when I'm going to read. And the more I read this, the more sure I become of what he's done for me. That's why the enemy wants to keep this book from people's hands. Or he wants to distort it and twist it and tell you it's not true. There's a lot of stuff in here. And in this book, you will find the new you is written about in here. 
The life you've been longing to live is written about in here. The person you are destined to be is in here. But you've got to read it and, and wholeheartedly embrace the Word of God. I love the Scriptures because the Scriptures aren't political. They weren't, they weren't made by a committee or a team. The Holy Spirit spoke to man and man wrote them down. Oh, oh this is good. Do you believe the Bible is God's Word? Well, now, come on. I understand. There's, there's more controversy around the Bible than anything else in the world. Without question. Did you know that, that there is, I don't know, what, what does it take to have a best-selling book? How many books does it have to sell? 100,000? I don't know what it is. Uh, but do you know that there, are, there is no other book that has been printed more than the Bible? I mean, no one even comes close. I mean, you got the Bible and then all these other books way, way over here. No other book has been printed more than the Bible. No other book has been persecuted more than the Bible. Uh, that You know there are societies that have, have attempted to remove the Bible from their society. There are nations who attempt to remove the Bible from their nation. There are those in America who want to... And listen, I'm, I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm a follower of Christ. And because I follow him, I know the benefit of his word, that I can't live without this book. So please forget about politics. Please forget about uh, what people say and get your, do yourself the, the biggest favor you could ever do and get a hard copy Bible. And just start reading it and ask God to show himself to you. Really, just be wild. Just, just open it. Just be, get alone and say, God, maker of heaven and earth, reveal yourself to me and open up the Bible and start reading it. And if you're shocked, it's okay. Just let the Holy Spirit transform you. Because there are some things in there that might shock you, depending on where you're at in your pursuit of Him. Okay? How are we doing? Are we awake? Yes. Come on, God is good. Yes, is. We're not leaving here today without being transformed. Hallelujah! <laughs> so something wonderful happened about 2,000 years ago, a little more than that. The Son of God said yes to the Father, and He came to earth in the womb of a virgin young lady. That's impossible, but it happened. Okay? We're talking about all of you. You see, a full commitment to Him becomes an immediate response when you realize what He did for you. You realize no one loves you like he loves you, right? So Jesus came into this earth through the womb of a virgin. That's in the Bible. Might sound crazy to you, but it's true anyway, right? What sounds crazy to us is not the measurement of truth, right? That just reveals where our thinking is and how much our thinking needs to change. You know, things Jesus said in the Bible might sound crazy to you, but man, if you'll believe them, your whole life will change. Yeah. Right? So Jesus came into the earth, but I want you to know he came for multiple reasons. First of all, he came because the Father asked him. Yeah. And Philippians declares that he laid down his glory, emptied himself, And I want you to know, when he came out of the womb of Mary, he looked just like any other baby. He had an umbilical cord. 
He had to be clean. The cord had to be cut. He went, Aah! he was crying. That's what they, they breathe, right, when they come out. He was getting air. He needed cared for. He came as a human being. Now, there are people get mad when you say that. <gasps> you can't say That's what the Bible teaches. He didn't have a halo on when he came out of Mary's womb. Isaiah says there was nothing about his physical appearance that would attract us to him. See, you see these paintings of Jesus, and you can tell how ignorant they are. They make him like glowing, and this, you know, he's got this halo on, and he's got this look in his eye. And no, there was nothing about him. The scriptures declare he could be walking down the street, and you wouldn't notice him as far as his physical appearance. I'm not in any way demeaning him. I want you to see what he did. If he came to earth as God, we would all fry. Because sin can't stand in his presence. He's perfect light. No darkness can come near him. So he didn't come that way because he knew we couldn't handle it. He came clothed in flesh. He was all God, but he was all man at the same time. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. He came as our substitute, as the Lamb of God. But he also came as our example, as the Son of Man. Jesus refers to himself over and over and over again as the Son of Man. Now, I know he's God. I know he's the Son of God. I know he's the only begotten Son of God. But you have to understand, he was functioning in multiple roles. He was the Lamb of God. He was the only begotten Son of God. But he was the Son of Man. Why is that important? Because we got to see Jesus as our example as human beings. He was our flesh and blood example of how to know the Father. If you see Jesus only as uh, some high and lifted up religious icon, you're not going to step into the power that he's given you to live as a human being in this earth. He came as the Son of Man to show us what we can do when we believe the Father. And I know this might sound like heresy to some, but if you'll read what Jesus said, you'll see what I'm talking about. He said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Yeah, and greater things than these. Well, what did he do? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He made the lame walk and the maimed hole and the blind see. He was doing that as our example of what we could do if we would believe the Father. And this hurts, doesn't it, hearing this? Some of you have been so conditioned by man's religious philosophies, this is, makes you mad. Or this might even hurt a little bit. But it's the Bible. Jesus is our example in choosing God's calling over a career. The world has a career for you. God has a calling. What are you going to choose? 
Jesus chose the Father's calling on his life. His father had a career, was a carpenter. Jesus didn't choose. Jesus did that for some time. But he knew there was coming a time in his life when he had to respond to the Father's calling and leave that behind him. What about you? What are you choosing to devote your life to? Listen, there are seasons in life. And we may devote our time to certain things that are for a season, but another season may come along when it's time to shift. And that's leave and, and move forward from that season and step into a new season where now our time and energies are used in a different way. But that you can't let, man, man doesn't know that for you. The one who made you knows that for you. And you know, you could have two people in the same industry, the same field. One is doing it as a calling, and one is doing it as a career. So it's not the field you're in that determines if it's a calling or career, right? It's your motivation. It's why you're doing what you're doing. Do you know, I believe God has called people into every field, into every sphere of human existence. I believe that. I believe he has a calling for us in every realm of society. So the difference in what you're doing that will tell us whether it's a calling or career is what is your reason for doing it? Are you doing what what you're doing because you've been spending time with the Father and you're following His direction for your life? Or are you doing it because a guidance counselor uh, told you you got 45 out of 50 on your test and this is what you should do? It's time to step in to the very things you were made to do. And listen, that's a process God called me to do what I'm doing right now, but I didn't just start doing that. I, had to, I went through a process of 30 years to be doing what I'm doing right now. Yeah. yeah. Are you willing to go through a process? So because God's called you to do one thing doesn't mean you're going to start doing it today. It's a relationship with Him. It's a process. He doesn't want you to step out before you're ready. That's why worshiping Him is so essential. Worshiping Him prepares you for the calling that He's given you. That's why gathering weekly is so important. Worshiping God and shouting is so important. Receiving the preached Word of God is so important. What we're doing right now is preparing the soil of your heart for what He's called you to do. Jesus was our example in this. Let's look at John 4, verse 31. The difference between a calling and a career is why you're doing it. Your focus and your motivation. There is a depth to what God called you to do, but you've got to allow Him to build that in you. And it takes time. John 4.31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, they knew he hadn't eaten for a while, and he was ministering to a lady, salvation, revealing himself as the Messiah in John chapter 4. And as a result of that, many people in the town came to believe in him. And he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. 
and they thought he had a Chick-fil-A sandwich in his lunchbox. That wasn't what he was talking about. He said, therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Did someone get him a number one? No, that's not what he's talking about. Jesus said to them, listen closely, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's the difference between a calling and a career. Anybody can do a career. Only a submitted heart can fulfill a calling. To fulfill your calling, you have to fully submit your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Daily. Doesn't mean you can't make a mistake. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect because then no one would do it. I'm talking about heart commitment is what I'm talking about. Your heart commitment will sustain you through the mistakes. Will sustain you through the tough times because you know you've made that full commitment. Your heart commitment is greater than your mistakes. See, that's the only way our mistakes can get us down is if the commitment inside is less than the mistakes we've made. I've never said that before. That's good. When the commitment in your heart is greater than the mistakes you've made, then your mistakes can't stop you. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was he doing? Ministering the gospel to a woman who went and told people in the town who went and came to see if he was the Messiah. The Amplified Classic translation says it this way. Jesus said to them, my food, my nourishment is to do the will, the pleasure of him who sent me and to accomplish and completely finish his work. That's a full commitment right there, isn't it? You know, I, my, my wife is an, an amazing cook. And I've had some amazing food in my life. But I want to tell you, nothing tastes better than following Christ. Love good pasta. I value olive oil and garlic. I like some good calamari. But I'm going to tell you, it's trash compared to following him. It's natural food can never compare to the satisfaction of saying yes to him. Never. You imagine the best meal you've had, and I'm telling you, saying yes to him will nourish you and satisfy you more. The message translation said, the food that keeps me going that up there? Message? Who with the message? 34? The food that keeps me going. 34. Let's get it up there. The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. See, God sent his son into the earth, but that wasn't the end of it. That was the beginning. 
He wants us to pick up where Jesus left off. When Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, but he told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's come. It's time to continue the work of Christ in the earth. It's the food that keeps us going. So if you find yourself getting regularly tired, you're eating the wrong kind of food. (laughs) See, when your food is to please Him, there will be a strength in you that's not of this world. How are we doing? All right. Pleasing God was more important to Jesus than pleasing man. Even his parents. It was more important to Jesus than even pleasing his parents. There are times his parents didn't get him. That was okay. He was all about his heavenly father, wasn't he? We are the same. Because we're disciples of his. What, so how do we gauge our success in life? In ple- by pleasing the Father. Not what people think of us. Not what society says about us. Right? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you awake? You're still awake? How are we doing at home? Don't check the laundry. Leave the laundry alone. Don't be doing the dishes. Sit and receive the Word. Give your full attention to what the Holy Spirit is ministering to us right now through the Scriptures, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 9. This is how we live, guys. This is who we are. So we make it our goal to please Him. In a football game, their goal is to get in the end zone. Do you realize how much time, energy, and money they spend to get in the end zone? Wow. Do you realize how many people a stadium can hold? Some of the new stadiums they build. How many people can they hold? I don't even... It's... I heard some crazy numbers. I don't even want Like hundreds of thousands? I don't know. It's, it's amazing. I didn't know there were stadiums that big in the United States. Around the world, there's some stadiums that can hold that many. But I, we're talking about billions of dollars. One of the newest stadiums they built cost $5 billion with a B. Or five and a half. I forget what it is. Something like that. We make it our goal to please Him. How much time energy and resources are you willing to spend to please him oh this is a good message i'm just saying this is good stuff this is the stuff that'll 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 get you through to the other side this is the stuff that'll cause you to kick in the door and 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 run over a wall and commitment is good i mean look how much money the world spends to get in to get to their goal I mean, I mean, I enjoy watching football, but it's just a game. Why would we spend billions of dollars on something that's just a game and very little on our destiny? I'd say we need to shift it, wouldn't you? Let's spend 10 bucks on a game and let's give everything to following Christ. You see how the world, and I'm not faulting it, and I, I appreciate entertainment, and I like athletics and all the different things and industries, and I'm not faulting it, but what about us as followers of Christ? 
How much are you willing to spend to fulfill your destiny? So we make it our goal, our end zone is pleasing Him. Our Super Bowl is pleasing Him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, in heaven, doesn't matter where we are. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We got that up there, guys? You with me? Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Passion Translation says this, So whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to Him. It's up there? Good. Let's read it again. So whether we live or die... We make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to Him. You're not going to understand me if you don't know this verse. My life passion is to fulfill my destiny. My life passion is to know Him. My life passion is to please Him. How about you? Come on. I'm not perfect. I can be a bumbling fool sometimes. But I have chosen to make my life passion pleasing Him. Not perfect in that, but that's my decision. That's my full commitment for the rest of my days. How about you? Are you afraid to make that commitment? Why would you be afraid of the best food you could ever eat? Because you believe things about God that aren't true. When you realize how good He is, you're going to take the biggest bite of His food you've ever taken. So whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to Him, or we could say it this way, to live our lives in full agreement with Him. Oh. We make it our life's passion to live our lives in full agreement with him. Do you fully agree with Christ? How are you going to know? Get in the word. See, this Bible will locate how much you agree with him. Read it. Just saying, yes, I agree isn't enough. I need to know what I agreed to when I said I do to my wife. She needs to know what she agreed to. We knew what we were committing to. We knew that we were committing to each other for the rest of our lives. The message translation says, cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing. The Amplified Classic says, we are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to Him. Man, this is good. Isn't this good? You thought you were just going to slip through the end of the year and live life like you've been living it. What a bore. Come on. Let's, Let's go all the way with Him. I mean, there are so many things that that we could spend our time doing, but the Lord has been impressing upon me to to 
proclaim and preach commitment. I don't want to do that. It's other th- I mean, I, I like it. I, I love commitment, but there's so many. I have like a thousand topics I'd like to preach on. People think like you have an agenda, you know. Okay, we're going to preach on this this week. No, see, the way it's supposed to be done is the, the apostle, the, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher is submitted to Christ and saying, what do you want me to say today? Not send away for a, for a, a, a preacher's curriculum and read it off the page. There's no relationship in that. Now, you can learn things that way. I'm not faulting that. But God wants to put his word inside of you so that you can proclaim it fresh and directly from him. So he's been saying, proclaim commitment, teach commitment, encourage them in commitment. Now, are you ready? We got our seatbelts on. Are you ready? We, we can say the word commitment, but you have to understand it has everything to do with how you live your life. Are you living your life in full agreement with him? Here we go. Ah! Jesus chose to make pleasing the Father more important than pleasing man. Jesus chose to make what God said the foundation of his operation, of the way he lived. He saw the world around him through the lens of the Word of God. He elevated God's Word above the controversies of this world. Let's look at some examples here. You ready? Matthew chapter 19. Jesus was not moved by controversy. How about you? Listen to me. The degree that controversy moves you or the degree that your countenance is affected by controversy will reveal to how much uh, need you have in your life to renew your mind with the Word of God. We don't see things the world man sees them. And you know me, if you've been coming here regularly, I, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not religiously correct and I'm not politically correct. I just want Jesus. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, excuse me, 19, verse 1. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. Remember, he is, yes, he's our substitute. Yes, he's the one and only Son of God, but he was also our example of how our lives are to be. When Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. That's God's will, healing, all the time. Same today. Verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him. Here come the religious experts. The ones who are esteemed, the ones who are religiously correct, the ones that have all of the certificates and paperwork, right? And they're trying to trap the Son of Man, the Son of God. They're trying to get Him involved in a controversy. And what is the controversy about? Marriage. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And they realize that people have a lot of opinions on marriage. They're in in the midst of a a crowd, a multitude, thousands of people. They're trying to trap him and, and get him to say something that will turn the crowd against him. 
The media are experts at this. Trying to turn the, the uh, people against whoever they want to turn them against. And I pray that you're not making decisions about any leaders based on the media. I pray that you would get into the Word of God and submit to the Word of Christ and make your decisions about public policies based on the character of Jesus Christ. So here they are, they're trying to trap them about marriage. And I want you to see how Jesus responds. This is the one whom we call Lord, right? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? Well, what does that have to do with it? I just asked you a question. We talk about reading the Bible. That's stupid. No, it's God's frame of reference. Jesus goes right to the scriptures. Oh, how weird. What a goofball. This is how we think. Now look what he says. Have you not read? In other words, God expects us to read his word and build our lives on it. Fully expects that we will. He knows that man is ignorant. He knows that man lies. I'm not talking, listen, I know you think you've never lied, but I have. Where'd that phrase, little white lie, ever come from, anyway? What is that? All of us have lied. I hate to, to break the news to you. We all have. Uh, do you know how fast you were going? Uh, 65. Uh, I clocked you at 92. Oh, oh, your, your, your gun must be broken, right? Radar gun must be broken. Listen, stretching the truth is a lie. God can't do that. He never has any. It's just not in him. There are no lies in him. There's no head games in God. And that can be, that can be shocking because we're so used to stretching truth and head games and political baloney. That when someone just gives us truth, we're like, eh, I can't handle that. Yes, you can. You're made for it. Jesus is truth. You're made to eat and drink it. Yeah. It's the food you need to be strong. But you have to realize the world's not preaching truth, that if you want truth, you're going to have to read this. Yes. Yes. Jesus' response, he didn't say, well, where are you from? What do you mean? He said, have you not read? The scriptures. And then he has the audacity to quote something from all the way back in Genesis. You think he would have known that that was outdated by this point. He's going back 4,000 years in his conversation. Talk about out of touch. He quotes something that was written 4,000 years before the question they just asked him. Listen to me God never gets old. He has no beginning. And what he says is always true. Whether it's the year 4000 BC or 3005 AD, his word is timeless. We think that because we've got smartphones, his word is obsolete. That's a dumb phone, not a smartphone. His word is timeless. 
So Jesus goes back 4,000 years to what God said in Genesis chapter 2. They're asking about marriage. Come on, Jesus, get with that. Change with the times. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? What's he quoting? Genesis 1 and 2. Right? This is his frame of reference for life. That's not weird. It's how we're made to live. God's word is to be our foundation and frame of reference for our worldview. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate. The message translation says this in verse 6. Can you put that up there? Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. If you're an artist, you need to know the greatest artist of all, the one who created everything, the one who who knows every hair on your head, the one who named every star in the universe. You want to talk about creativity, no one even comes close to him. So Jesus responds to a a current controversy with the word of God from thousands of years ago. Why? Because truth doesn't change. Truth is not voted on. Truth is not a policy or a political platform. It doesn't change. And when you begin to build your life, your life on what God says, you become immovable. You become strong, and no one can take you down. I love Jesus. Have you not read? What would happen if you were taking a class and your assignment was to read chapters 1 through 3, and you're going to have a test on it in your next class, and you came to class and you never read the material. You're not going to do well on the test, right? There are people who are failing in life because they haven't read the material. There are Christians who are frustrated and struggling in their relationship with God because they're more familiar with their religious tradition than they are with the, the very words of Christ. It's time to read the material so that you can pass the test. So marriage to to us and to God is something he created and designed. It's something that's sacred that was not our idea but was his design and purpose. So we revere marriage between a man and a woman. Because we revere him. We understand there's a lot of confusion in the world and we don't hate anybody. We're not down on people. We love people. But we know that God is true and his word is true and that we embrace his design for life. Have you not read God made the male and female? Let no one alter that. 
And this can hurt if you've been listening to the world because the world doesn't know who you really are. And Satan will try and tell you things that are contrary to who you are and to how God made you. Because he wants to steal from you your God-given identity. And there are people who are cheer you and applaud you for being confused and for living another identity. I don't want to shock you, but people really don't care about you. In fact, sometimes they just want you to, to listen to them so they can feel better about themselves, so they can justify the confusion in their own life. That's not love. See, God has none of that. He just loves you because he loves you. He has no agenda. He's not trying to justify himself. He, he wants you to be whole. So he'll tell you the truth about yourself. Something else Jesus talked about, and it was children. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. So God created marriage between a male and a female, a man and a woman. That's God's design, and that will never change. We can pass laws saying it's something else, but God's truth doesn't change. You know, God, uh, God loves you so much that he, uh, he refuses to hurt you. Lies hurt us. You know, making marijuana legal doesn't mean it's good for you. In fact, it's not good for you. Medical use, are you kidding me? I know this hurts because you've been told a lot of things. It's not good for you. It, it ruins your brain. The people that have told you has because they want to sell it and make money off of it. There's a lot of money to be made off of things like that. But just because man says it's legal doesn't mean it's good for you. If you've got to light something on fire and stick it in your mouth and inhale it, to, uh, something, somewhere say, wait a minute, something about this isn't good, right? Something about sticking something on fire and inhaling in my mouth would tell me. I mean, I remember as a kid and I tried to smoke and I, I got smashed. I did things. But I remember putting a cigarette up to my mouth in the bathroom at a wedding reception one time and I started gagging. The whole idea of smoke coming into my nostrils just didn't work. Uh, listen, God loves you. I'm not condemning anyone. I'm trying to be real here. So you've got to come with me. I'm not putting people down. I understand there can be addictions and, and, and people are addicted to cigarettes or marijuana or drugs. I understand that. But I want you to know God will set you free completely from it all if you'll renew your mind and take Him at His word and believe what He says. And if you'll start smoking His word, because <laughs> his words fire. It will light you up. It will light you up. Luke 18, verse 15, they were bringing the people, they were bringing even their babies to Jesus. Are babies people too? They're bringing their babies to Jesus, infants, so that he would touch them. 
The disciples saw it, and they began rebuking the people. Jesus saw it, and he rebuked his disciples. <laughs> he said, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. According to God, children, his kingdom belongs to babies. Oh, isn't this different? See what happens when you read the Bible? You look at babies different. And you begin to value and treasure them because you value and treasure Christ. And you realize that his kingdom belongs to the babies, to the children. So we love babies and we love children. Why? Because God made them in his image. Now I'm going to ask you to be mature right now, to put politics aside. And I, 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 I'm not speaking on one side or the other. I'm speaking as a disciple of Christ. In my life, in 51 years, I've never heard a president until this one boldly declare that every child is made in the image of God. I'm just saying, I haven't heard that. I've heard this president say it repeatedly. I've heard the vice president say it repeatedly. That's boldness in the culture we're living in to declare that every child is made. It's true whether they declare it or not. Isn't it? Psalm 139 verse 13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You see, when you read the Scriptures, the womb is a very precious and sacred place. And you realize that and you protect it. Now, we've got an election coming up in what? Uh, I don't know, five weeks, four weeks, something like that, six weeks. November, right? November 2nd. I'll tease you, just say the date. Let me say this to you. There are foundational truths of human life that God has given us in his word. Two of the most basic are marriage and children. They, it wasn't man's idea. It wasn't some society somewhere that decided, let's have marriage. Let's have this was something God created so that we could experience him. God made male, if you notice, I, I, I love, I, I'm, I don't remember it all, but I love studying human anatomy and, and biology. I love seeing how the human body was made. And you've got a male reproductive system and a female reproductive system. And if you want to be in awe, just study them both. Yeah. It, it, it's mind-blowing what God has created. So that a husband and a wife can come together and where there was no other person, another person is formed. What? Without any electricity, without any technology, right? Without any external devices, a man and a woman come together and another person is formed. Wow, how God is that? How awesome is that? How sacred is that? Man didn't come up with that. Are you kidding? 
man can't find his way to work. (laughs) What a beautiful, sacred thing that is. So as his children, his sons and daughters, these are the foundations of our thinking. We know these things. So marriage and the womb are priorities to us. So listen to me. So I don't go into the booth as a Democrat or a Republican when I vote. I don't. And you have to understand, you're not voting for a person when you vote. Do you know that? You're voting for the platform of that party. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not, I'm just telling you the way it is. If you understand government, each party has a platform. What is a platform? Ideas that they're trying to to get to sell you, right? Listen to me. As a pastor, as a disciple of Christ, I cannot go into a booth and vote for a party or a candidate that does not support marriage and children in the womb. I can't do it. Why? Because like Jesus, I have chosen to make my life fully agree with the Father. I've got to do it. I have to. If He's my Lord. If He's the one I've surrendered to. Now, you might be mad right now because you've been listening to man's gibberish. This is not politics. I'm talking about human life on planet Earth. The way God designed us. What's important to Him is important to us. Now, you've been told that abortion is your right. I grew up being told that. And I didn't even know what abortion was. I was told it's a woman's health issue. Okay, I'm I'm good with that. Well, of course, women have right to health. Of course, you know, I'm good with that. And it wasn't until I began pursuing Christ at the age of 17 and then reading His Word at 19, my eyes were opened to what abortion really was. And we're going to take a little time here, and I hope you're all right with it. We're going to do it anyway. But I had grew up in a family that had multiple abortions. We were lost. It wasn't a decision I made. It was a decision that I don't want to reveal too much, but I'm just telling you, I saw some nasty things. And I didn't know what was going on. But I want you to understand The womb is where human life begins. The Bible clearly teaches that. I mean, to think anything else makes no sense. Medically, it makes no sense. Scientifically, it makes no sense. It's just the way that it is. So what an abortion is, is that human life, that baby, not a tadpole, not an embryo, a human life, They'll inject that baby with poison or, sun, or literally they'll, they'll tear that baby apart with sharp metal instruments. That's what happens. And people say we have a right to do that. When I re- read the Bible, and I remember reading this at 19, I learned that I was not my own. That I was purchased with a price in Romans and that my body doesn't belong to me. I don't have a right to do what I want with my body. Furthermore, I learned that when a, a, a baby is conceived in the womb, that's another human life that has its own rights. Yeah. 
the most fundamental is that we protect him or her. Right? I learned that, that adults protect children, not hurt them. Right? So listen to me. Someone who has not embraced, a political candidate who has not embraced God's foundational truths of life, marriage and children in the womb, is not fit to govern us. Listen to me, if I haven't embraced these simple truths, then everything else I think is skewed. If I don't recognize God's design for marriage and, and, and producing children, everything else I think is twisted. Because these are foundational realities. So I can only support a candidate, first and foremost, these are the two Basic fundamentals of human life that we don't move on. Now, you want to talk about taxes and things like that, there's, you know, there's a lot of ways you can go about that. But if you're going to talk about uh, supporting God's creation of family and, and the life in the womb, I've got to say what God says. I've got to vote for what God votes for. So I cannot support a candidate who's for abortion. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. So if there were no candidates against abortion, I couldn't vote for anybody. I'd write someone in. I would. I'd have to write someone in. So that's the first thing as a disciple of Christ. Look at, have they embraced the fundamental realities of God's design? Because if they haven't, the rest of their thinking is going to be skewed. No matter how popular, no matter what they tell you, well, we're going to say this. Are you ready? How are you doing? Good. Do you know uh, there was a woman years ago, um, I guess, when, uh, am I saying her name, Margaret Sanger? It would be early 1900s. A woman who had an ideology to get rid of minorities in America. Much like Hitler had an ideology of getting rid of certain types of people so he could, he could have his own race. That's evil. Would you agree? Right? Every human being is made in the image of God. Are we okay? Not talking politics. We're talking Jesus here. This woman's method, I mean, is diabolical. She wasn't a military person. Her method of getting rid of people with different skin colors was creating... Uh, centers in urban areas and going to pastors of color and telling, we have these centers where your people can come, maybe that have unwanted pregnancies, and we'll help them. And they wanted as many minorities to come as possible because they wanted to rid America of them. And they feel if we can kill their babies, we can stop their population from growing. But you want to understand something. Satan doesn't come to you and say, I'm Satan and I want to kill you. He comes to you and he's, he's, he comes to you in a very beautiful car, very talented with lots of money and lots of bling. So do you know what this diabolical woman called her, her organization? Planned Parenthood. That's a nice name, isn't it? I'm a parent. I like to plan. I mean, if you don't know what it means... I mean, planning's good. I like being a parent. Let's call it Planned Parenthood. What are we doing? We're, then you check the history on this. 
We're going about, we're trying to get pastors of color on our side to tell their congregants if they have an unwanted pregnancy to come to us, what are we going to do? We're going to kill the baby in that womb. This is what's going on. Listen, if there's an unwanted pregnancy in my life, killing the baby's not an option. No matter how that pregnancy came to be, life is always the answer. It's always the answer. It's, life is always the answer. It's always, we always choose life. And politically, we can only support someone who chooses life. So as a woman, which I'm not, but as a woman, I'll speak on your behalf. I'm married to one, and I could speak for her behalf. She would agree with me. As a woman, I recognize my body is unique. It's not a man's body. I have a God-given capability to carry another human being in me. And if another human being is conceived to me, that human being has rights that are separate from mine. And I must protect that human being. And let that human being live the life that God gave them to live. Hello. We're talking about all of you. Make, choosing to make your life in full agreement with Christ. Isn't God good? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as your political leader, nope. As your best buddy, nope. Can you put it up there? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as I like that word. We don't use it in this culture. Some cultures still do. Lord is a powerful word. In this context, it's the one who dictates how I think and what I do. In other words, I'm under his authority. Freely, I've given myself to him. Do you know, you can't be free until you think like he thinks. Freedom is not thinking separately from God. Freedom is thinking like God. You can't experience real love until you choose to think like he thinks. And let's see, where's this at? Romans 10 Luke 6, 46, Jesus said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but let politicians tell you how to vote? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So before I vote, I've got to know, what does this platform support? If they don't support these fundamental realities of human life, there's no way I can vote for them. Because I'm a follower of Christ. Right? How are we doing? Good? James 4, verse 4. They're getting a rebuking. You know, rebuking is good when it's godly. It will help you. Just like, uh, uh, you know, when we were in basic training, the, the company commander would get in your face. Get up! You can move, 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 move. Why was he doing that? Because he knew you might be in a life-threatening situation someday. And if you don't get up and move, you could die. God speaks to us and he rebukes us because he wants us to be strong and so that we can do the things that promote life. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he begins with you adulteresses. Oh, that's pleasant. 
<laughs> Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? It's good to read the Bible. Now, God so loved the world. We read that at the beginning. You didn't forget that, did you? Not talking about love here. Not talking about hating people. It's not choosing the values of the world, the people who aren't following Christ. It's hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. So if I choose political ideas that are contrary to what Christ taught, I've made myself an enemy to God. I'm just being real with you. Just being real with you. We are at a time in human history where we have got to stand up and be the people God has called us to be. We're not fighting against people. The battle is not against political parties. There are, there are spirits behind what's going on. There are spirits behind the whole COVID thing, trying to keep us all in our houses, isolated. There are spirits behind all the riots going on, trying to create unrest in our society, trying to cause confusion so that this upcoming election will be a confusing one. All these are part of strategies that Satan is behind to bring chaos and confusion into our nation. But we're not going to go with it. All right? We have chosen to follow Christ. Let's pray. Jennifer, would you come up, please? Father, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we call you Lord. We recognize that out from underneath your authority, there's no love. There's no freedom. The only way to truly be free is to follow you. We give our whole selves to you. We are passionate about making our whole life agree with you. We're not passionate about politics. We're passionate about you. It doesn't matter what people think of us. We have chosen to please you with our lives. Lord, we lift up our nation. We are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. We see all the things that the enemy has been doing in the last 12 months to cause confusion and fear and chaos and anarchy, but we're not going there. We're going, this nation is moving forward. In you, We declare the will of God done for this nation, just as is in heaven. We declare Jesus Christ, Lord of the United States of America. From the West Coast to the East Coast, from our northern borders to our southern borders. We, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening the eyes of our government leaders. That they would uh, begin to desire to please you that they would forget about the polls and forget about the bribes and the, the money that the people are trying to give them to do things their way, that they begin to just fall on their faces and say, Jesus, I want you. That they begin to choose Christ in the decisions that they make, that they begin to govern under your authority with, with your freedom, your love, your life leading the way. We ask you, Father, to move in the executive branch of our government to bring a revival, Lord, in the executive branch. 
with the president, the vice president, all their cabinet. We ask you, Lord, to, to bring revival in the legislative branch of our government with the House of Representatives in the Senate that a revival would break forth in Congress and even in the meetings of Congress, Lord, that your spirit would move, that people would begin to worship you and lift up their hands, that people would come to know Christ in meetings of the House and the Senate. We pray that, that for revival to come in our judicial branch of government, Father. From the Supreme Court all the way down, Lord God, that they would come to know you and they begin to worship you, that they take time to seek and pursue you, that you would become the focus of their lives. We know you have a destiny for this nation, that you love every single person, and that, that you came that we would be free and move forward in you. We declare Jesus Lord of this nation. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.